It's also, again, all online. Well, we do something in the high school ministry on Wednesday nights. We call it Minute on Fire. I got it actually from one of my friends uh, and his youth group and, and how they do lead their youth group. And it's where I, get, I have one of the students and I give them a little bit of notice. It was like at first just one day or a few hours of notice. It's kind of expanded to like two or three days ahead of time. So they have something to prepare. And then it's getting up here and just one to three minutes of what is God doing in your life? How is God working in your life right now? Or how, what has he done? You want to share a part of your testimony, something like that. So I figured it's high school takeover. Let's do it tonight as well. So if you could welcome up John Kornicki. I got him. I, I said he could have five minutes tonight. It's a special night. So he's got five minutes. This is John. He's going to share. If we're being uh, honest with the minute on fire, we say it's one minute, but uh, it really lasts about three. But I'm not going over five, so uh, yeah. So to start, I'll be sharing a bit of my testimony and what my life was like before Christ and uh, how he's working in my life now. So, you know, to start, I grew up uh, in a Christian family, you know, great family right over there, actually. Uh, Give them a round of applause for raising all of us. And I also grew up in this church, actually. I grew up in uh, Calvary Chapel, Westgrove. And um, just kind of growing up, you kind of get this idea like, oh, since you know, I grew up in the church, you know, since my parents are Christians, then you know, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian too. I'm saved, right? And you know, growing up, I kind of had this notion like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I believe in God. You know, I, I believe Christ died for my sin. And kind of growing up, that... Um, kind of was my, I, it's kind of how I thought, right? And so when sin kind of came into my life, such as like anger and pride and jealousy and envy, and that sin would be in my life, I would be like, oh, no, 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 I'm a Christian. You know, I'm saved. You know, I believe in God, you know, but my life obviously wasn't showing it, you know, and I would be in denial of that sin, you know? I would hear sermons, and I'd be, you know, I, I'd be slightly convicted, but I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm saved. You know, I believe in God. I, I go to church. My parents are Christians for crying out loud. I'm a homeschool kid at church. I'm saved. I'm saved. But sin would always be in my life. I was held captive to it. And whenever I would try to, you know, overcome that sin, when there was pride in my heart, and I try to overcome it, when I had an envious or jealous thought, I would try to overcome it, but it would always be in my mind. And the reason for that is because I was always trusting in myself, you know? I said I believed in God, but I wasn't trusting in him. I wasn't, you know, following him. You know, I said, oh, God, you know, you're cool. I know you exist, but I'm just going to, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to overcome this jealousy, this envy on my own. And it never worked. And I kind of grew up all of that way. And I remember hearing a sermon you know, this was back in about 2019. It was um, towards the end of April, beginning of May. I remember hearing um, this verse right here, if I could flip to it, just one second. It is Matthew 7, uh, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So... Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, again, growing up in a church, I've read this verse before. You know, I, I remember reading it in the past, but this time it was convicting. You know, for the first time, I felt convicted. I felt the weight of my sin, quite literally. I was kind of breathing a little weird. Not the Rona. This was before the Rona. But um, I felt like this shortness of breath. I just felt like the physical weight of sin was on me. And I just realized kind of in that moment, like, I'm not putting my trust in the Lord. I'm putting trust in myself. You know, I say I believe in you, God, but I'm not following you with my life. You know, and so that very night I said, Lord, I'm, I repent of my sin. I'm no longer going to trust in myself or what the future may hold. I'm not going to trust in myself to overcome sin, but Lord, I am going to put my trust in you because you are, are not only just my Lord, you are, not only are you just my Lord, you are my Savior. So I'm going to trust in you. And let me tell you, after that, I saw a change in my life inwardly. It wasn't like a choir of angels came down, you know, like in one of those moments of redemption, are like, oh, you know, it wasn't like that. But over time, I saw that I had victory over this sin. Yes, the temptations to fall into pride and envy, all that stuff, they came. But I knew I had victory over it. I'd pray to the Lord and there'd be peace. Before, it wasn't like that. But it is now. And let me tell you, it is the best thing that has happened in my life. And by trusting in the Lord, the Lord has put so many opportunities in my life. I tell you, I definitely didn't think that, like last year, I wouldn't have thought I'd be running a Christian club at my school, and yet here I am, the Lord opened that door in my life. And let me tell you, I, hadn't, <laughs> I never would have thought I would have ever had victory over my sin like a year ago, if you ask me. You know, I always thought it'd be like, kind of, in a funny way, it'd be like, oh, the final blow, once and for all, defeat the evil villain, sin, you know? And I thought I would do it of my own power. But here's the thing, the temptations to sin will come up, but by putting your trust in the Lord, he will give you the victory over it. And so that's just kind of what the Lord has been doing in my life, just bringing up these opportunities. And let me tell you, it's the best thing. Again, I sound like a broken record, but it is the best thing that's happened in my life, trusting in the Lord. So yeah, thank you. Good job. Amen. Sweet work. I pray that you have all would be able to say with John, God, is, God has done this work in my life. Now I have victory over sin. I see the work of God in my life. So um, you can turn your Bible. We're going to study from God's Word tonight from the book of 2 Timothy Book of 2 Timothy, we're going to look at a few verses in chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 tonight. You can turn there in your Bibles. 2 Timothy 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. It's uh, one of my favorite things to get up and preach after one of the high school students shares their minute on fire. It stirs my heart, encourages me so much. And what I'm doing, right, like, Lord, please, like, let it work, right? Like, let, the, let them receive what you have for them in your word. And it's, it's one of my favorite things from Wednesday night. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. And now we're going to turn to God's word, 2 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 7. Let me pray, though, before we get into it. 
Father, we are thankful for this place, thankful for many believers who are here gathered and are ready to receive from your word. I pray that you would speak tonight, God, that you, the, the true and living God that I'm talking to right now, that you would speak to us tonight through your precious word. Get me out of the way and speak to your people tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, I, I love one of the marvelous truths of the Christian faith is that we are continually, God is a God of continual second chances. Second chances, fresh starts all the time, every moment of our lives and every day and every year that passes, God continually gives us fresh starts, second chances. He's a God of redemption and, and he sees us not in our sin as Christians, right? Not defined and stained by our sin, which should be the state of who we are in our relation to God, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross, right? He sees us now as his children. He sees us as beloved children. As many as received him, he's given them the right to become children of God. And from a moral standpoint, he sees us as his son. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We literally receive the righteousness of Christ. And now God looks at us and doesn't see us in our sin. He sees Jesus, the perfect righteousness of Christ. What an amazing truth of the Christian life. And that truth has so many ramifications in our life, if we understand it. If we grasp that reality, that we are truly saved, and that we're truly forgiven, and that God not only uh, removes our sin, but forgets it, wipes it away as if it never happened. We literally have the righteousness of Christ. If we receive that and we understand that, then that will affect every component of our life. And, and how we now live for God will be defined not by, okay, I'm trying to earn something, I'm trying to maintain some kind of spiritualness and holiness here and right standing before God, not at all. That misses the whole heart of the gospel in the same way of trying to earn your salvation before God. If we get this as Christians, all the legalism, all the condemnation, everything that comes from the enemy will be done away with when we understand God continually just pours out grace. God continually forgives. God continually picks us up and wipes us off and lets us start fresh. And this is kind of the idea in 2 Timothy. This is um, something that he hits on here in 2 Timothy 1, 3-7. And it's what inclined my heart to, turn, to have us turn here as a church tonight and study something, especially in light of the New Year, right? New Year's is in two days. 2021 is approaching. How are we going to live this New Year? So before we dive into the text, a couple things about 2 Timothy. Uh, this was probably probably the last book of the Bible that Paul wrote, the last book in the Bible that Paul wrote when he was alive. He wrote it when he was on death row in Rome under house arrest. Last book that he wrote perhaps ever, last letter perhaps he ever wrote. So it's crucial. It's his perhaps final words. And it's written to his son in the faith named Timothy. It's one of three pastoral epistles and it's one of four letters of Paul that were written to individuals instead of a group or a church. So it's personal, it's crucial, it's powerful, and it's good stuff. You put that all together and it's good stuff. Let's listen up. Let's listen to what Paul has to say to his son in the faith, some of his last words. Here's what he has to say. Let's read uh, verses 3 through 7 together. It says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. 
I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. What I get from verses 3 and 4 as we get into the text tonight is you see Paul's love and care for Timothy, his son in the faith, expressed in tears and prayers and a longing to see him. Paul loved this man, Timothy. I mean, think about it. Paul had no children of his own that we know according to church history. He was uh, not married, at least not in his ministry, perhaps before. He was a lonely guy many times in his life because no one else wanted to come to his aid when he was being persecuted for the name of Christ. There would be times in his life where he was all alone, beaten and alone for the name of Christ. But Timothy was one of the few people that was faithful, that came even when It was risky and dangerous. He was loved by Paul. He was his son in the faith. And that's what we pick up in verses 3 and 4. Man, he really cared about Timothy. Really cared about him. And this is building now into the exhortation he's going to give in verses 6 and 7. That I'm excited to preach on for you tonight. We're building into that reason. 3 and 4, man. Paul really loves and cares for Timothy. But before he gives the encouragement... And the exhortation, he gets into the reason why he's going to share this exhortation and this encouragement with his son in the faith. Look again at verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure dwells in you as well. When I think about verse 5, one word comes to my mind, and that word is legacy. Timothy had a legacy of faith in his family. Remember, Christianity hadn't been around much, not long at all, right? A few decades at this point. That means Timothy's mother and grandmother were probably some of the first believers in their area, and they were in a Gentile region in this time. They weren't in Jerusalem where the gospel and Christianity was first born. So they were some of the first believers. And now Timothy, their son and grandson, a young man, is pastoring the church in the city, one of the most influential cities in the Roman Empire of Ephesus. He's now pastoring this thriving church. What a legacy of faith that this family is now leaving. And it begs the question for us, and this is the text, this is the reason why it made me think of this text for New Year's. Besides, I was in 2 Timothy recently in my own devotion time, excited to preach this text. But I thought of legacy for 2021, right? New Year. It's the first thing everyone thinks of in the New Year, right? New Year's resolutions. How am I going to be different in 2021 from 2020? What's going to be different? And I want to challenge you, and I think we should ask this question to ourselves often, especially when we're faced with it in God's word, what kind of legacy are we leaving? What kind of legacy are we leaving? And yes, family, right, is an amazing thing. If you are a second, third, fourth, eighth generation Christian, if you're a parent or a grandparent in here and your children are believers, that is an amazing reality, right? But that doesn't even matter so much, right? You might have no one in your family who is a believer, but rather what are you going to leave as a legacy? As we approach the new year and it, it turns from 2020, 2020 is one for the books, right? The year of the coronavirus. Like this is one probably we're going to talk about to our children and our grandchildren. Remember 2020 and then the, the pandemic, like the whole world was in a pandemic. Remember that? Like that was a crazy year. This is one for the books. I wonder what you're going to say about 2020 from a, steer, a spiritual standpoint. Looking back 
in a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years? What are you going to remember spiritually about 2020? We have a couple days left. I wonder, can you say, um, like in 2020, can you say, man, 2020, the year I grew spiritually so much, the year I was so effective in the gospel for Christ, when the pandemic was raging, God was using me to lead people to Christ. When things were falling apart in society and politically, God was working in my life so powerfully in 2020. I wonder, will you be able to say 2020 was the year that I was so effective? 2020 was the year I discipled more, shared more, loved people more, prayed more, meditated on the word more, saw God work in my life like never before. I wonder if you're going to be able to say that about 2020, or are you going to say, or will you have to say, man, 2020 was kind of a bad year spiritually. 2020, uh, in light of the craziness of the circumstances surrounding me, I kind of backslid in my Christian life. 2020, I kind of just wasted time in quarantine. 2020, I didn't really do much for the kingdom. I didn't see God work in my life powerfully. That's a sad place to be, thinking about a whole year of time that has gone by. But if that's you tonight, and I think all of us can relate to that in one sense, we always could do more for the kingdom, more for the Lord, see God work in our lives more powerfully. If that's you, then we need to go back to how I started this message. Our God is a God of fresh starts, new beginnings, second chances. Our God is a God of redemption. That's what he does better than anyone else. That's what our salvation was. We were dead in our sin, destined for hell, separated from God because of our own sin. Christ came down and paid the price and set us free, made us new. This is what God does. So what the challenge now becomes, you can forget 2020, forgetting the things that lie behind. And now what is 2021 going to be for you? From a spiritual standpoint, what kind of legacy are you going to leave in 2021? And I'm not, I'm not talking about circumstances, right? Like it could be, because, okay, let me say this. I can say this right now with authority in God's word. Every single one of you in here and anyone listening to this message, you have everything you need for 2021 to be the best year of your life. And I'm not talking some weird, like, you know, uh, motivational speaker type thing up here. And I'm not talking about circumstances because 2021 could be worse than 2020 as far as circumstances. Who knows what's coming next? It could be, hopefully not. But I don't put, as Christians, we don't put our worth in this world and in circumstances. But you have, right now, every one of you in here, you have everything you need for spiritually speaking, 2021 to be the best year of your life. In fact, you have everything you need for tomorrow. Tomorrow to be the best day of your life spiritually. And this is kind of now the theme we're getting into and we're going to spend the rest of our time this evening. You have everything you need. I'm talking progress and joy in the faith. I'm talking spiritual growth. I'm talking satisfied and being filled with Christ. I'm talking effectiveness for the gospel I'm talking about love for Jesus and for people. You have everything you need for 2021 to be the best year of your life. The question is, what are you going to do about it? This is the principle that Paul gets into next. Let's read verses 6 and 7 again. Do not miss this. This is the principle of the scripture. It's a command. It's an exhortation 
followed up by an amazing promise of what I'm talking about right now. Don't miss it. Let's read 6 and 7 again. It says, For this reason, after he gave the reason, right? The reason is a legacy of faith. The reason is you have genuine faith, Timothy. So for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For, notice verse 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Notice the principle there. We're going to get into the exhortation in verse 6, but please notice there in verse 7, this is yours. Not you can have a spirit of power, love, and self-control. You have it if you're a Christian. Not fear. Fears from the enemy. Fears of the flesh. That's not what you were given the day you were saved. You were given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. It's yours. Not can be attained. Not as you progress in the Christian life and reach the next level of spiritual maturity, then it's all of a sudden going to come. And I think the enemy is really good at tricking us into thinking that, that we got to earn, that we got to work for it, and then all of a sudden it's going to come. It's yours, the Bible says. Believe God at his word. You were given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. We're going to come back to this. Let's jump back to verse 6. What is he saying here? The exhortation, the command, the challenge from Paul is to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. What is this gift of God referring to that Paul says here for Timothy? Well, I believe this gift of God refers to the gifts, spiritual giftedness, giftings that God gives to every believer at their salvation. Every one of you in here, if you're a true Christian, you have spiritual gifts that God has given you freely with not a shred of partiality. No one's earned anything. God gives it and he's uniquely designed you in Christ Jesus to impact and build his kingdom and shake the darkness. You all are uniquely gifted by God for that. And Paul is saying, therefore, fan into flame that gift of God. Don't get tripped up by the phrase laying on of hands. This is a trend biblically and a teaching. Laying on of hands for healing, for commissioning, even in the book of Acts for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to get tripped up on that phrase as if like, man, do I have that? Do I have the gift? Because I haven't, pastors haven't laid hands on me. Pastors won't lay hands on me. Like, don't get tripped up by that. I think the point of that phrase that Paul writes that and adds it into Timothy is it even adds to the person, the, how personal this letter is. Paul's saying, I was the one who laid hands on you. So Paul was either there at Timothy's salvation and literally laid hands on him to receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he first trusted in Christ. Paul might have been the guy that led Timothy to the Lord, or perhaps Paul was there when Timothy was commissioned into the ministry as a pastor, and the elders get up, and, and, and we're, it's a trend in Scripture, an example we follow, right? To, to anoint an elder in the church, we recognize it, and the elders lay hands on him. It's commissioned by God. It's a symbol. It's a good, healthy, biblical thing. Don't get tripped on it. Uh, I think it adds to this element of legacy. Paul loved Timothy. Timothy, no doubt, saw Paul as his hero in the faith. And now he's getting a letter as Paul's on his deathbed, so to speak, on death row, saying, Timothy, I was there when I laid, when I laid hands on you. You received the power of the Holy Spirit. Your, gen, your salvation is genuine. I've seen the fruit in your life. And so then he says, therefore... I challenge you, I urge you, I beg you, fan into flame that gift of God. What is this idea, fan into flame? Well, I think we've all been at a bonfire or a campfire 
And when the fire is just getting started, right, or if it's going out, it's a way to get the flames built up is you got to blow on it, right, or fan it. you got to pump some oxygen into the fire, and then the flames burst and come. That's how it works. I should have maybe, like, looked into more, like, physically how that works. But that, we get it, right? That's how it works. you got to fan it into flame. I remember uh, when I would want to help my dad barbecue when I was younger, and my dad, he's funny when he barbecues. He has like this whole alter ego. We call it Barbecue Dave. It gets in like a whole new zone. I'm like, Dad, how can I help you barbecue? And I want to like flip the steak or help cook the chicken or cut it and check. And he'd be like, oh, you can fan the charcoal. He was a, he's a purist barbecue. I think propane's offensive to him. And so you get charcoal, right? Those, those little black cube things and you pile them up and then you light them and you gotta, he wouldn't even let me light it. I would just get to fan it. And, and you're fanning it. You got a piece of cardboard. You're fanning it and you're working really hard and you stop. Nothing happens. And you, so you keep going. Nothing, you know, that, go harder. And I'm like trying. I'm fanning as hard as I can. And then you stop. All of a sudden, boom, bursts into flames. You put the work in. You had to do something. You had to do a, a fanning, a stirring, and now the flames come. Please get this. And, and I, I like to do this here in the high school room here and there. If, if you've checked out after I said good evening, Calvary Chapel West Grove, then just bring it back in. If, you're, if your capacity of attention is like two minutes, then this is the two minutes right now, right? Apply your attention right now for two minutes. Listen up. What does it mean, fan into flame? Because this is where it gets practical. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once sent a message to those under him, and he said this, get this, the tendency of fire is to go out. So watch the fire on the altar of your heart. The tendency of fire is to go out. So watch the fire on the altar of your heart. A commentator, commentator, Gary Demarest, rightly comments, and this is where it gets real practical. Listen here. It says, Every fire needs repeated stirring and rearranging to keep it burning brightly. Here is a powerful insight into a reason why so many Christians are more like smoldering ashes than dancing fires. How do you rekindle a fire? You make some changes. You do some rearranging. If your devotional life is dull... Try some different approaches. If your joy in Christ has cooled, try getting closer to someone else to renew the flame. I find small groups that meet regularly are the most helpful in shaking off the ashes of lethargy and self-pity. Don't be surprised or alarmed when the flames go out. They will go out. The flames will naturally recede. Just shake off some of the ashes and get some new kindling. This is where it gets really practical. This is the command here. This is the exhortation. Timothy, stir the flame. Timothy, shake things up. Timothy, do not be content with even a shred of lukewarm spirit and attitude, not a shred of spiritual laziness or complacency. Do not be content with even an ounce of it. Do anything you can to stir that flame once again. I love how practical this is. Your devotion life's getting dull. You're like, you wake up one morning or you're in a season of your life, man, it's just not the same. I'm not feeling it. I just don't have the passion. We've all been there. It is the natural inclination because we are still in these bodies of flesh. It will become that way. The fire will dwindle down. The question is, will you stir it up again? Will you put the work in to see the passion once again? Because when the passion is there, when the fire's there, that's when, we'll be, that's when we'll be who we're supposed to be. 
That's when we're going to impact the world the way we're called to impact the world. That's when we're going to be the lights in the darkness. John Wesley's famous quote, get on fire for God and men will come and see you burn. Get on fire for God and men will come and see you burn. Samuel Chadwick said, men and women ablaze are invincible. Hell trembles when men kindle. And I pray that you would get with Amy Carmichael, the famous missionary to India, who got with her life as she gave most of her life to India to preach the gospel and to care for orphans. She got it both with her life and with these words that she penned. She said, give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. I pray that that would be your prayer. I pray that that would be your life. What are you going to do about it? 2021, you have everything you need. All resources, all things pertaining to life and godliness, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, it's yours. His divine power is going to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, coming through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and exceedingly great promises, so that through them, we can become partakers of the divine nature. You have everything you need. You have everything you need for 2021 to be the most powerful, the most loving, the most sin-killing, earth-shaking, darkness-shattering year of your life. The question is, what are you going to do about it? So Paul follows up this very challenging exhortation with a sweet, sweet encouragement from God's word. And it's a promise. Read verse 7 again. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. When it end here, right, as we come to an end of the sermon, Paul gives three things to Timothy. And these are the three things I'm going to challenge you with. Three things I'm going to challenge you with to see more of in your life in 2021 than ever before, because you have everything you need, right? We've already established that. And again, that's what the verse is saying, right? Please don't miss it. Not you can have, not maybe you will reach and attain one day. You have not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Three things, power, love, self-control. Let's take them one at a time and I challenge you. Once again, each one I'm going to challenge you. Let it be the year. Let tomorrow be the day. Let next month be the month where you see more of this in your life than ever before. Let's begin with power. But again, notice he begins with a negative. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. It begins with a negative because, guys, I believe fear, based on this verse, fear is the main quencher of the power, love, and self-control from God to that is and should be displayed in our lives as believers. Fear is the main quencher to the fire. And notice the promise right off the bat. And then we're going to look at each of these from that perspective. How, is it, how, how can we conquer fear and overcome the enemy in fear and see these things displayed in our life? What does fear do? Let's take this first one, power. Fear is the main quencher of power in the lives of God's people. Maybe you can relate to this. Have you ever been afraid to make a stand for Christ because everyone around you is hostile to him. Everyone around you, you know, is living a life in direct contrast to him and his rules and his standards. Have you ever been afraid to speak up and say what you believe and who you are because of that? 
I think we all have. You ever been afraid of standing for righteousness because of your friends or your family or your coworkers who will hate you for doing it? You know, when you make a stand against that, you know that's going to bug them so much and that's going to convict them and they're going to come at you. You know the relationship's not going to be the same once you make that stand. Have you been afraid to make that stand for Christ? Have you been afraid to share the gospel out of fear of rejection? Out of fear of not maybe knowing what to say? Oh, I'm, I'm an introvert, Dane. I, I just don't. I just, it's just not me. I can never be there. you ever been afraid of being bold for your faith and making the gospel known to your friends, your family, in your sphere of influence? I think we can all relate to that. And you can see where fear is the main quencher of power in the lives of the believer. But let me turn your attention to what this word means. The Greek word here for power is the word dunamos. Same word used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The amazing promise of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. But you will receive power, Jesus told his disciples, before he ascended into heaven. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Power's coming, guys. So go and wait and pray for it because when it comes, everything is going to change. And then the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and everything changed. And these disciples who were so quick to reject Jesus at the crucifixion just days later, a month or so later, are now willing to lay down their lives for the one who conquered death for them. They now had power Dunamos, where we get the English word dynamite. Dynamite, explosive power. Again, please notice, it's yours. Not can be, not maybe one day. This is what God has given you. The Bible even says that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. Do you believe that? Do you believe his word? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. How are you going to see God work? Because the question, once again, I had to come back to this one more time. The question isn't, do you have it? Do you have access to it? That's not the question. We've already established that. The question is, will you tap into the power? It's yours. It's there. Dynamite power. Holy Spirit lives in you. Are you going to let him work? 2021 can be the year of power like you never thought possible. I remember when I first started stepping out in faith and being, trying to be pulled from my faith. It was the biggest struggle of my life. I grew up similar, church kid, like John said, homeschool kid, by the grace of God, got saved early, right? I, I know the weight of my sin through, through being tempted and, and things, right? But like by his grace, I never walked away. But the biggest thing for me was that boldness. I was ashamed. I'd hear about people going out evangelizing. I was like, I can never do that. Like, what if I see someone I know? Then they're like, you know what I mean? It's like that, that fear just gripped me. I, I'm like, I can't, that's embarrassing. I can't like be seen with these like crazy Christians, you know, the ones that are like too radical, like calm down, man, radical. But that was my fear. That wasn't logic. That was my fear that held me back. And I remember when I first started to take some steps, like baby steps, right? That's where it starts. Take a step of faith. Your first one, you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try this. I know I need to. God began to do things. And I can tell testimonies in my heart, in my prayer. I'm not saying this like, oh, look at me. My, my prayer is that every one of you in here can have those. Because you can. Because you have the power. You have everything you need to be a bold witness for Christ. You just got to take the step. You just got to kindle the fire. You just got to put the work in. Take a step of faith. Overcome fear. 
See what God will do in your life. I, I found myself doing things I never thought possible. All right, I'll, I'll share this one just because it's so mind-blowing. This, this kid from Southern California, I had the privilege, I had the opportunity like, when I was a missionary and I was in Africa, we did a soccer tournament in this whole little town in Mitigo. We have missionaries, Jay and Bosco, who live there, and it's still like 95% Muslim, and they all come out because they love soccer. We put the tournament on, and, and uh, our missions pastor looks at me, and he's like, Dane, you can preach the gospel. I'm like, what? Like, there's like thousands of people here, and, and we're in like a hostile area, and it's getting dark, and like, I, don't, I don't think I could do that, and it's going to be through a translator. But I prayed, and God gave me the strength, and I preached the gospel. There was like over a 1,000 people at the soccer field, mostly Muslims. When I started speaking, they started listening, right? There's this little this blonde kid from across the other side of the world. But when I started mentioning Jesus, crowds started getting hostile. A big truck drove away. People, like a group of like 50 or 100 left. But some people were staying and jumping off the truck because they wanted to hear the message and I got, to, I got to share in, in a Muslim area of the world that is unreached with the gospel in a lot of ways because they're so hostile to Christianity. I got to preach the gospel. I look back and I'm like, how, how in the world did you do that, God? From the kid who couldn't even like, share with anyone, from the kid who couldn't even get out in the streets in Huntington Beach and, and share the gospel with someone. How, how could you use me like that? It's all him. It's his power at work. You have the power too. The question is, will you tap into it? That's power. Second thing here is love. Not a spirit of fear, but power and love. The love we are called to give as believers is the Greek word agape. I think most of you know this, right? Different words for love in the Greek language. And this is God's love. And what's special about this kind of love is that it's unconditional. And it's given without any sense of needing something back in return. You give love, God loves, without any sense of getting something back from us. God doesn't love us and go to the highest extent to buy us back to himself and save us from our sin because now we're going to do something great for him because we're so great. Not at all. He did it, he does it, and he continues to give it because it's who he is. It's perfect and unconditional. It's the love of of God. And that's the love we're called to give. You see, with this love, with agape love, it's risky. How might fear keep us from love? Well, you see, the love of God, agape love, giving agape love is risky because you are giving without any expectation of something in return. You're loving selflessly without getting anything in return. I've had people in my life, I hesitated to share this, but I think it's a good example and it'll be helpful I've had people in my life that I've done nothing but love on and pour out to in ministry. Just, just love on. I was there when they received the Lord. And, and I just loved on them. I've brought them into my home. I've spent countless hours with them, ministering to them. And for whatever reason, there's multiple cases like this in my life. They like disown me. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. But maybe because either uh, they know I disagree with their lifestyle and I would be willing to say something on the authority of God's word or just because they're going off in another lifestyle and they know what I represent in their life. I represent God in a sense in their life. I'm the one who's speaking truth about the word. That nothing but love them. And then they shut me out. They disown me. They want nothing to do with me anymore. I have multiple cases like that in my life. Now, now we could all probably see where, where that could be 
tiring to the point of giving up. Why do it anymore? Why, why care for people anymore that don't give you anything back? They, they, they cut you out. They reject you. They make you the bad guy because even though all you've done is love them. How could I keep on going? Well, the, the key is, the key is that I didn't do it for my sake. I didn't love them with God's love for my own sake. I, in my own strength, I could not love them with God's love. It's because the love of God is poured into our lives that we now pour out into the lives of those around us. Do you see how I'm getting to the principle there? You have been given a spirit of love. You have been shown the amazing, unconditional love of God. How could you not now reflect that and give that to the world? Some of you guys need to hear this tonight. It's my favorite thing to preach on. That God, there's a God in heaven, the God of the universe, who spoke everything into existence. He loves you with that kind of love. He loves you and expects nothing in return. The Bible even says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our trespasses and sin, while we wanted nothing to do with God, while we were even enemies of God, and the Bible says, by nature, children of wrath. That is who we were. We were enemies of God by our actions. We, we hated God with our actions and rebelled against Him continually. And in that state, God loved us. While we wanted nothing to do with Him, He pursued us. Even for the people who still want nothing to do with Him, He still loves them and He paid the highest price for them. He paid the highest price so that they could then be called His children, so that He could adopt them into His family, set them free from their sin, wash them, forgive them, remove their sin from them as far as the east is from the west, and look at them and say, you're mine, you're forgiven, and I love you in everlasting love. God in heaven loves you like that. And when you get that, when that's come in and transformed and taken hold and gripped your life and changed you, that's what salvation is then you cannot help but pour that out. And no matter what, people give back to you. No matter what kind of love is reciprocated back to you, you still keep loving. I like the picture. should have done a little like illustration. The picture, I think someone did this in high school recently. It's like we're overflowing with the love of God. The biblical idea isn't that like, okay, you get filled up a little bit, like, and then you like pour it out. You get filled up a little more, pour it out. That's not the biblical idea of love and how we show love to the world. The idea is you are just drenched with this continual flow of love, and it just overflows and comes out of you to everyone around you. You don't even have to pour. You don't have to tilt. It's just coming out, because that's how much God loves you. The question is, the question is, do you tap into that love? Do you go and you meet with your Father in the secret place every day, get to know Him more, and see his love and experience him through his word? Do you go to him in prayer and ask him to fill you afresh? Ask him to open up your mind to just open your eyes and see how much he loves you every single day. When you do this, when you put the work in, when you fan into flame, you will see the love of God in your life. It will just come out of you. Lastly, self-control. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Your Bible might say sound mind. The idea is that the born-again mind exercises and has self-control and discipline. The born-again mind is transformed and now is disciplined and has self-control. Does not just give in to any desire 
that it is inclined to, but looks at everything and has the power to overcome anything that is not of God, but is of the flesh. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of self-control. How might fear keep us from having self-control? How might fear keep us from killing sin in our lives? Well, the fight against sin, more than anything else, is a fight of faith. Let me say that again. The fight of sin, against sin, more than anything else, is a fight of faith. It is a fight to believe that Jesus is better. That living his way and knowing him and experiencing him is more satisfying than anything that this world has to offer. Because the ultimate temptation of every sin, whatever it is, whether it's lust, whether it's gossip, whether it's pride, whether it's envy, the root temptation of every sin is, hey, do this because it's going to satisfy you. Yeah, get that person back with that harsh remark, that rude comment, that that mean speech, because it's going to feel good. Yeah, hey, do this. Look at this, because that's going to satisfy some desire. Hey, yeah, yeah, think this way about yourself, because it makes you feel good. It's always a fight of faith, because the way you overcome sin as a believer is you say, no, God, I believe you. I believe you are more satisfying. I believe that this fleshly desire, though it's screaming at me right now, that, they did, that it's more satisfying. I trust you and your word. I trust you when you say, no, you are more satisfying. Nothing in this world can truly satisfy. All its pleasures are temporary, fleeting, passing, and don't even fully satisfy. Yet in your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you see what I'm saying here? The fight against sin is a fight of faith. And therefore, the main way to overcome temptation is overcome the fear, the fear of saying, no, like, what if God isn't satisfying? Fear says, no, no, it's going to, it's going it, to, what if you don't say that harsh thing and then, and then they, you know, and they just trample over you and then you don't get them back? That's fear, right? The opposite of faith. Fear, no, no, what if that, what if God can't really satisfy you that way? What if, what if God can't really ultimately satisfy? you got to come do a little of this, try a little of this, live a little of this lifestyle. That's what fear says, right? Therefore, it's the main obstacle in our faith. But once again, God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Again, 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. You have everything you need. No temptation, the Bible says, has overtaken you that is not common to man. But with the temptation, God is faithful. With the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure. Nothing comes your way that you can't overcome. Oh, but dang, you don't know. I, I can never get that out of my life. I can never overcome. I can never forgive that person. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because you have God's power at work in your life. You have God's love pouring into your heart. You have God's strength to overcome any temptation that may come your way. And it's promised to you. The question is, once again, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you tap into it? 2021, it could be the best year of your life and nothing's holding you back. Just fan the fire into flame. Let's share one more thought here. I shared this in high school the other day, so it's going to be a repeat for you guys, but I love this thought. It's been so convicting to me. Like, I will never be the best basketball player in the world. All right, I just have like, I will never beat LeBron James 
as long as he's still in his prime in basketball. It's just not going to happen. I have certain physical limitations that's just not, I mean, he's got like a foot on me and he's got a lot of muscle and weight on me. Like, it's just not going to happen. In years of experience and pure talent, it's, I'm not even good at basketball. It's not going to happen, all right? I will never be the best basketball player in the world. But according to God's word, everyone in here and everyone out there, anyone in the world, no one has anything on me when it comes to living for God. I could be the most loving person in the world. I'm not saying I am. Trust me, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But no one has an advantage on me. Do you get what I'm trying to say here? No, no one is just naturally more loving, naturally more spirit-filled, empowered with power for to be a bold witness for Christ. No one is more naturally loving and, and has more self-control just naturally in themselves. No, no one has that advantage, right? Like, again, Pastor Chris will never beat me in ping pong. It's just not going to happen. We play, we play all the time, and it's just not going to happen. We're like 40 games in now. It's tough on him. He's lost like 40 games in a row now. In fact, if you remember it before you leave, just give him a little pat on the back and <laughs> say, keep working on the game, buddy. I'm just kidding. But, but Pastor Chris can be the most loving person in the world. He can be the most spirit-powered person in the world. He is, no one has anything on him, and no one has anything on you. The point isn't for some competitive thing. The point is like, you have the power. What are you going to do about it? We look at people, right? We compare ourselves so much as fleshly people. Oh, I can never be, I can never be that bold for the gospel. I can never be that loving as that person. I, I can never have self-control like them, the way they can overcome their sin. Yes, you can. You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. The question is, are you going to tap into it? Are you going to let God work in your life? 2021 can be the best year of your life. Are you going to let God work? Are you going to seek him like never before? Are you going to press into him like never before? Are you going to fight sin like never before? Are you going to pray for love and power like never before? And are you going to take those steps of faith to be bold for him like never before? It can be the best year of your life. Let me, let me just end by reading that prayer, that poem by Amy Carmichael, one more time. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no, do, di, no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word and the truths therein, God, in a world of so much confusion, not knowing what to believe, what sources to trust. God, your word is sure. And it is our foundation, God. We don't have to trust in any man, any religious figure, God. We look to your word as our final authority. So God, I pray that we will be people who not only hear your word, but are doers. Leave this place, not, not the same. 2020 does not have to be the same. 2021 is 2020. We have everything we need. All things pertaining to life and godliness. All the power, love, and self-control we could possibly need. It is ours in Christ Jesus. So God, help us. Help us to be a people who seek your face. Help us to be a people who fan into flame the passion for your name. And we can see you move in exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine according to the power at work within us. Your power, your Holy Spirit, fill us now. Strengthen us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.